as the kiddos get out of here to their lesson. Good morning to the older folks. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, it is by the grace of God that I'm even in this building this morning. My goodness. Lord have mercy. I didn't even uh, know that air could like get this cold. Like I don't think I've ever even felt this before. Um, like is the sun, like how does that work? Luke will have to explain I don't understand how you, it, the sun can be out and it's like broken. Like I thought the sun was hot and it's over here like freezing. Um, so anyways, good to see all of you. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are in a series that we started last week and we're calling it The Practices, which I know seems like an unglamorous title. But The Practices we're trying to get at, we want to be doers of this thing doers of this thing, not just hearers of it. And in fact, in just hearing, James tells us yesterday that, uh, or not yesterday, last week, that that's actually a little bit deceptive to be just hearers of the word and not doers. And so we're wondering for ourselves as individuals and as a, as a little team here, a group, what would 2024 look like if we actually put into practice some of these things? What if we took seriously what Jesus practiced and we started to practice those things for ourselves. So last week it was starting with James, and this week we're going to get into a specific practice that we see in the life of Jesus, something that he just kind of moves toward instinctually. This is just what he does, okay? Are y'all with me? The practices, week two, but really week one of a specific practice. Let's get to it, huh? Um, real quickly, though, actually, well, let's, can we stand for the reading of it? We're going to be in Matthew Matthew chapter 14, it is, a, it is a story you've heard before, but we're actually not even going to get to the part that you think you know. We're going to stop a little early and just sit with those early verses. Friends, this is the gospel according to Matthew, and it reads this way. When Jesus heard what had happened, when Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, meaning he came ashore, and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. Uh, it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, responds Jesus. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You may be seated. God, this morning we do surrender all. We surrender all. I surrender all. And we are desperate to hear a word from you on this cold morning in January. And so, God, we are eager. Our ears are attuned to you. Our hearts are open to you. Our hands are open that you might speak and that we might hear and be transformed because of it. So, God, with the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of the hearts here, would they be pleasing to you? Would they be receptive and open 
to you and your spirit. In the name of the triune God. Amen. And amen. Well, I want to speak this morning. Gosh, why are their batteries falling? Where are they falling from? That's like the second one. Anyway, raining batteries. It's negative 55 degrees and raining batteries. Okay, this morning I want to speak simply from this idea, God's gut reaction. God's gut reaction. God's gut reaction. Do you ever have those gut reactions or those gut feelings, those kind of instinctual decisions that you make and they kind of happen before you even think about it, before you can get calculated about what move you're going to make? You know, and there's something in your body, oftentimes you hear, ah, this place doesn't, this place doesn't feel right. I don't know about him. Some give me a weird vibe. That's a gut feeling, right? Or maybe you're like, ah, this doesn't seem like the right person. This doesn't seem like the right place. Ah, I don't know about this sermon, for instance. That's about a gut reaction, right? That's a gut feeling. But people's gut reactions often reveal their true colors so to speak. They show you who they are before they're able to think about what they're going to do. And so oftentimes they can show us, right, quite truly, who's brave, for instance, or who has integrity, whose character shows up before they have time to make the move that they want you to see, a gut reaction, right? You get these gut feelings about people, about places, about things, right? Gut feelings. Uh, Sean's not in here, but uh, Sean Childs, who's a who's a mentor at our city and has his own organization in, um, with anti-violence, we often joke about how uh, mo- most people, we kind of cower when we hear gunshots or we will run or we'll hide or we'll slink behind a building or something. And we kind of half joke about how, how, how Sean, uh, his instinct, his gut reaction is kind of, he goes towards the bullets, um, which is a little bit hyperbole, but actually it reveals his true colors that his gut reaction is towards bravery, for instance. Right? Some people, you see their true colors in these gut stories, gut reactions. So, in our passage today, the scene cuts to Jesus, who's just heard some news. And what news has he heard? Tragic news, right? If you look before this story, we find out that it is his beloved cousin, John the Baptist, the one who leapt in the womb for Jesus, the herald of the good news who pointed with his whole life, this is Jesus, this is the one we've been waiting for. The faithful witness has been beheaded, we learn. And so we pick up with Jesus, who I imagine is weary and in need of some alone time to pray and to process with his father, and he hops in a tattered rowboat, I'm assuming, in hopes of finding a solitary place on the other side of the lake, maybe. But of course, Jesus at this point has made a name for himself, hasn't he? going around Galilee preaching this odd but good news to the kingdom of the poor, healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, casting out demons, cleansing lepers. He's eating meals with all these disreputable folks. He's getting into conflicts with all the religious officials, and he's telling people that they are the salt of the earth and that they're the light of the world. And just a little while ago, he was talking about these weird mystical stories in chapter 13 about how the kingdom is like wheat and weeds and it's like a mustard seed and it's like a treasure in a field and there's wheat and weeds and he goes back home to his, his hometown, Nazareth, right before this story, hoping that he might be embraced 
But what actually happens is he's rejected. They all reject him. And then right after that is when he learns that his beloved cousin has been beheaded. And so here is weary, heartbroken, kind-hearted, faithful, loving, Torah-observing, troublemaking Jesus. And he finally reaches what he thinks might be a quiet shore on the other side of the lake. And I can kind of picture him getting out of the boat and pulling it to the banks, putting it on the sand. And then, you know, you get that feeling when you're like, I think someone might be watching. And so I picture him kind of turning and looking. And he sees all these faces. Not five, not ten, not twenty. Dozens and dozens and dozens of faces staring at him, looking at him. What is he going to do? And he sees these faces, weary faces. Can you, can you set the picture? Weary faces, tired faces, faces that look just like his. Old women, weathered men, awkward teenage boys, giddy little girls clinging to their mother. And there on the banks of that lake before this great crowd that is now gathered in expectation, eagerly, even if apprehensively, we see God's true colors, so to speak. We see what I would like to call God's gut, gut reaction to humanity. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Sometimes you got to go to the King James version, and I think it gets closer to the point here. He saw the great multitude and was moved. He was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. So before the famous miracles ever happen, before we even get to the point that everyone knows, it's a part of the greatest hits of the Bible and the Gospels, right? Everyone knows the feeding of the 5,000. Before we even get to the miracle, before the miraculous healings, before he takes the bread and the fish, before all of the details that make this story unforgettable, before anything, Jesus sees a crowd in need. Jesus sees this crowd and is what? Moved with compassion. That's what the text says. He is moved with compassion. So I just want to suggest to you all this morning as we start to think about practices, it is compassion for these people that precedes Jesus' willingness to heal them. It is compassion that precedes all of that. It is compassion for their situation that precedes the miracle. Y'all see that? It is God's capacity to be moved that leads Jesus to intervene in their lives. It is God's capacity to be moved that leads Jesus to be intervened in your life. God is utterly moved. It is, perhaps, compassion is God's primary practice in the world. It is, perhaps, God's primary practice in our lives. That gut reaction of compassion. As a matter of fact, I started to kind of nerd out and look at the, the word compassion. I started to look about where else does this word occur? And so I can tell you that now. It occurs 14 other times in the Synoptic Gospels, 
And the Synoptic Gospels, if you remember, are the three that are, share a lot of simili similarities, a lot of overlap. Right? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's always going to be one guy who's kind of in his own world, swimming around in the clouds. That's John. That's why we have the Gospel of John. John's kind of, you know, he's doing his own thing. But for the rest of them, the Synoptic Gospels, they're all on the same page here. And 14 times, 14 different times, the word in Greek is used that Jesus was moved with compassion. And it always, always interestingly precedes some kind of miracle or healing that Jesus does. Isn't that interesting? It's compassion. It's like it's right there all the time, and yet we don't really even see it. So for instance, remember the story of the prodigal son. You remember that? That's in uh, Luke 15. Remember, and the story says that when the son was yet a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? Compassion began there. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? That's five chapters earlier in Luke chapter 10. And there it says, A Levite, when he was at that place, he came and he looked on the man in need and passed by to the other side of the street. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man in need was and he saw him and he was moved with compassion. In the first chapter of Mark, Jesus encounters a leper and again is moved with compassion. He put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose. Be clean. Compassion started that. It was the way Jesus was able to see and move towards the predicaments that other people were in. Do you see that? And it turns out this compassion word, we can nerd out for a minute, if you're into the Greek, it's splagnizomai. Y'all can try and say that. Splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. And if you tur it turns out, I, I didn't figure this out. All the, 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 the nerdy Bible people, they figured this out when they read the original language. It means something like this. To be moved from one's internal bowels. That's where we get the word compassion. Every time it's used in the New Testament, in the Greek, it literally means to be moved from the deepest part of one's being. The bowels, the entrails. I was like, what the heck is an entrail? So I looked up entrail. It turns out that's like your, your innards, particularly when they're spilled out. <laughs> that's an entrail. Your entrails, your guts, the innermost part of you spilled out. That is the place from which Jesus is moved instinctually. Are y'all with me? The deepest, innermost part of who Jesus is, from his bowels, from his entrails, from his innards, the God of heaven and the God of earth, moved towards the crowd that they might be healed. And they move him. He sees what ensnares them. Hmm. Compassion does that. He sees what is holding them back. He sees that, like it says in Matthew 9, when another instance where he has compassion, he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the forces that are cutting them down at every turn. He sees how they are hurting. He sees how they're confused. He sees that they're drowning. He sees all of this and it moves him. It moves him. And then you can zoom out. <laughs> 
In fact, we zoom out and we see that this isn't just um, some particularity with Jesus of Nazareth. This is the God who always was. We look to the Old Testament and you see nothing, nothing, nothing different. This is at the heart of who God is and who God has been all along. Remember in Exodus 34, you'll recall there that what happens is, remember Yahweh gives the covenant or the, the Ten Commandments kind of a second time to, to Moses on Mount Sinai and he writes them down on tablets. That's Exodus 34. And Yahweh describes himself there. Listen to how Yahweh describes himself. The Lord, the Lord, that's me, Yahweh speaking, is, what's the first adjective y'all think Yahweh uses? Compassionate. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is the first adjective God uses to describe God's self in the giving of the law. What? Why don't we talk about this more? Psalm 86, the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and faithfulness. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all, and his compassion is all over God, what God has made. And so I think I put it on a quote on a, on a little slide there. A great Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he puts it this way. He says, what marks Yahweh as decisively different from all the other gods out there, however, is Yahweh's capacity to Watch this. Feel with. To feel with and feel for Israel in the deepest and most intimate ways. There's nothing deeper, nothing more intimate than feeling from the bowels, is there? That is what sets our God apart. The feeling with. The feeling with. Y'all remember on, on Christmas I said that the, God, the way that God chooses to be for us is by being God with us, right? That's kind of the Emmanuel promise, God with us. And in fact, it is true, and it's been true all along, from the first book to the last book, from Yahweh to Jesus to the Holy Spirit, how God chooses to be for us. It is God's and Yahweh's capacity to feel with, complete identification with, complete solidarity with. Y'all see that? And then this, this almost made me yell. So I was talking about the, 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 the Greek, that's the Greek, meaning from the bowels, from the innermost. Well, the Old Testament is written, not in Greek, but in Hebrew. Well, did you know that in the Hebrew, the word for compassion, which is also translated oftentimes as merciful, or compassion is closer to it, it is nearly identical, watch this, to the Hebrew word for womb, as in a mother's womb as in giving birth to something, as in the most intimate thing you could ever do. The Hebrew word for compassion is almost nearly identical to the Hebrew word for a womb. Like a mother carrying a child in her womb. There's a woman you should look up if you're into all the nerdy Bible stuff, especially for the Hebrew Bible. Her name's Phyllis Tribble. Phyllis Tribble, if you want to look that up. Um, she noticed that. Obviously, I didn't find that out on my own. Um, but she, she makes that observation that, wait a minute, these words are almost identical. 
womb, God's compassion. The womb of God, the compassion of God. So that on top of the New Testament connotation, from the bowels, from the innermost part of you, I hope you're getting the point that our entire Holy Scripture is pointing to the fact, and especially God made flesh in Jesus, this is a God profoundly and precisely marked by compassion. Compassion. So as I was preparing for this sermon this week, um, I try to read some stuff and then I try to reach out to friends or mentors and stuff. So I reached out to um, someone who's sort of a spiritual uh, father to me. His name is Greg Boyle. You should look him up too. He's an inspiring guy. Um, he's over in L.A. with Homeboy Industries. And I, so I said, hey, uh, I call him G. I said, G, um, I know you think and you write a lot about compassion, uh, and that's kind of like your life's practice, it seems to me. Uh, I'm trying to talk with my people about compassion. Um, what do you think? You know, give me something. <laughs> he literally, he texts back and he says, oh, good to hear from you. Compassion. It's the wallpaper of God's home. It's the contour of God's heart. Hope you're well. And I'm like, dang, man. I, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, I, I get to share that with you all, but now I'm also like, I wish I would have thought of something half as profound as that. The wallpaper of God's home, compassion. The contour of God's heart, compassion. The womb of God. He's moved from the innermost part of himself. It's God's gut reaction. But you see, Jesus actually never stops there, does he? Notice if you follow along in the text, it says that Jesus doesn't just get moved, but Jesus is moved into a full identification with their situation. He's moved into full solidarity with everything that they're experiencing, right? So a way of saying this is that Jesus makes their situation his own situation. That's also what compassion means. What they're going through, he lets that become what he's going through. Their situation becomes his situation. Right, so Jesus always makes the predicament of other people his own predicament. And that's what compassion does. So he's saying that if you have a sickness, you who are sick, that sickens me, Jesus wants to say. If you're hurting, it hurts me too. If you're blind and you can't see, I'm blinded too. If you're in chains, I'm a prisoner too. If you can't get adequate health care, that's an issue for me. If you're living in a food desert, that's an issue for me. If you're being massacred, I'm there with you too. If you're being abused, that's an issue for me, Jesus says. If you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. If you're mourning, I'm mourning too. If you don't have money to pay rent, that's an issue for me. If there are no good pathways for good education and a decent job, that's my issue, Jesus says, too. Everyone's predicament becomes Jesus' predicament. Compassion. God does not just feel for people, does Jesus? That is one thing, and that's an admirable thing. That's closer to our English word sympathy, right? To feel for other people. I feel for people when somebody passes. That's not actually what God does. He goes beyond that. And that's actually 
right, one more etymological thing. The English version, compassion, comes from the Latin for us. Come, passion. Come meaning, it's a prefix meaning with, uh, committee, commission, compound. Come with passion. When we talk about the passion of the Christ, we're talking about what? Pati is, is the Latin for suffering. Suffer with. To suffer with. Compassion is to suffer with. With suffering, suffering with. God does not just feel for, but God suffers with and feels with. Exactly what Brueggemann was saying. I am with you. And so notice the difference between how the disciples, I love the disciples. Man. I, always, they, I always read what they're doing. I'm like, man, I feel a little too uh, seen here. I'm like, dang, uh, that's exactly what I do. Notice how different Jesus is from how the disciples respond here. Jesus leads with one thing, putting the, the first things first. For Jesus, that's compassion. Notice what the, the disciples lead with in the text. All right, read it. They're leading with concerns of calculation, aren't they? They're calculating. They're calculating. They're thinking about convenience, aren't they? Do you ever think about convenience before anything else? No, just me. Okay. Do you ever start to calculate before you ever start to feel compassion? Do you do that ever? You start to strategize before you start to feel with somebody? Uh-oh. Y'all ever do that? What do they say? It's late. It's getting dark. It's negative five out. It's a deserted place, they say. They, 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 let's put the responsibility back on them because it's their issue because they're the ones who are in the predicament they're in. They should probably uh, head to the store now because they need to get some food so that they can eat. It's their issue. Those are issues of calculation of convenience of strategizing and yet that's never ever 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 where Jesus starts it's not to say those are bad considerations are they we need some strategy don't we an organization hey we need that but that's never where Jesus starts primarily is it no so it's almost like Jesus is saying they <laughs> or what does it say they don't need to do nothing they don't need to go anywhere. You. You. They. No, don't, why are you worried about them? You. Right, is this in the I'm reading it, right? You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You're worried about their predicament being their predicament in their lane. You. You give them something to eat. And then they kind of double down. And this is where they start to talk about feasibility. Well, they start to talk about plausibility. Is this um, within the parameters of what is possible here? In fact, Jesus, we only have about uh, enough for two fish sandwiches. That's not even enough for me and Peter. So that's what they respond with, huh? We've got enough for barely half the disciples. And there's a whole crowd here. So I'm just thinking in terms of logistics here. This is not going to work, Jesus. Huh. Not bad considerations, really not. We need, we need people who are geared that way. 
But that is never, ever, ever, I really do want y'all to get this. That is never how Jesus begins, is it? Jesus is moved from here towards them making their predicament his own predicament. And so Jesus ends how Jesus always ends, bringing into himself. Jesus ends how he always ends. Y'all watch this. Bring them here to me. Y'all worry about logistics and planning and strategy and all of these good, important things, and you've missed the place from which you must be moved primarily. Bring them to me. We'll figure it out. I know that part's not in the text. I swear, Jesus, I bet Jesus said that last part. Bring them to me. We'll figure it out. I am able and I am willing. We'll figure it out. But you must first be willing to be moved by the plight of other people. You must be first be willing to be moved by what other people have to go through. That's a primary instinctual practice we've got to learn. Amen. It's not about being, a, this isn't about a power dynamic here. I, I want y'all to get that too. This is not about um, uh, some kind of anointed healer, though that's Jesus, but that's not us. It's not about us being some anointed healer dispensing out our compassion for people who need it because they're in deep need. Compassion is, it is about a covenant between equals. That's what compassion is. It is a covenant between equals, not a contract between a caregiver and a care recipient. We identify fully with what other people have to go through and what they have to hold. That's compassion. It is just a gut reaction. And that can become a practice, church. It can. Their life bound up with your life. That's what we want to cult that's what I want to cultivate in my life. Every day I want to live like that. I do. I hope y'all want to live like that every single day. Compassion is my instinct. Okay? So I hope that wasn't too nerdy with the whole words and everything. Uh, maybe it was. I had fun with it. But I actually just want to I want to transition to some practical kind of application points. This isn't normally how I preach, but I feel like we gotta go this way. So I have just three uh, kind of points. If you could put the first one up there. We want to be people who, we want to put these into practice, okay? So as you, as you kind of reflect on this story, you reflect on compassion as that thing that from which you are moved from the deepest part of who you are, your bowels. And as you think about the Old Testament connotation, the Hebrew, the womb, the most intimate, darkest, deepest place of what you're trying to birth into the world. And as you think about even the Latin connotation, with and suffering, suffering with what other people suffer with. First point, this can become a practice. Please, if you want to write this down, do it. If you don't need to, practice it just for the next seven days. Try this. Just don't take my word for it. Just try it. Just try it. Pay attention to what moves you. Try that this, just this week. Just try it. Pay attention to what moves you. I think we, are, we kind of, if I'm right on this, I think most of us half pay attention to what moves us. But, but what happens is I think we sense that it's 
convoluted or we sense that there's a contradictory nature to what moves us or we sense, and it's a correct sense, um, that it's not entirely pure what moves us, right? There's motivations kind of woven into what moves us that are also full of ego or full of selfishness or full of um, all these kind of complicated desires, right? And so because of that sense that we have, which is maybe a right sense, we, we forego and we foreclose the whole process of paying attention to what moves us in the first place. Do you agree with me? Right? Do y'all hear me on that? So I want us to sit with that, and it's, okay, it's going to be convoluted. It will be. You are not going to have a pure desire in you that is just moved, that's entirely holy and good and righteous. You won't have it, I promise. You won't. Pay attention to it anyway. Start to ask, why does this move me? What about this is moving me? Even pay attention to the spot in your body from which it's moving you. Right? Um, this is a bad example, but I remember being like maybe eight years old, and on PBS there was this kind of documentary about uh, the Trail of Tears, right? what the native folks of this land uh, had to endure when they were moved all into reservations. Right? Awful, unjust, terrible. Right? And an eight-year-old me, right? this is a, just a small bad example, like I said, uh, I, there was something about just that, that PBS program that moved me, right? And it wasn't pure. It wasn't without my problematic things. There was probably like a, a hero complex involved in there. Eight-year-old me is like, I want to fix this. I want to oh, get in. That was wrong, right? So it was convoluted. It was, there was some messy stuff in my reflection and in my desire. But don't betray the paying attention part. Does that make sense? So this week, just try that. Pay attention. What is moving me? Why? Why is this moving me? Stay with that. Maybe write it down. See what God does with that. What, what, what people, what situations, what problems move you? Okay, that's point number one. Practice. Please practice this. Please, 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 please practice this. Point number two. Consider every human you encounter. Okay? Consider everything. When you have, next time you have a conversation, maybe after church, or maybe when you're on the bus, or maybe when you get into the work in your office, or maybe it's with your child who is bugging the crap out of you. Consider the wholeness of them. Look into their eyes. Friends, this can become a practice, I promise you. Consider their situation. Consider the fullness of what they're holding. Consider the fullness of what they're holding. Consider what they've been through. Can we make that a practice? That's another thing um, Greg, um, Greg Boyle always says. He puts it this way. This, this is what we seek. Hear this. This is what we seek, he says. A compassion that can stand in awe of what people have to carry rather than standing in judgment about how they carry it. That is what we seek, River City. A compassion that can stand in awe at what people have to carry rather than standing in judgment at how they carry it. Can you, I want y'all to, do you feel that? I know I'm just saying words here, but I want you to feel that that's compassion. And bonus side of fries with this, you will find out, I promise you this too, you will find out that if you become swimming in that practice, if you make that a continual, habitual, instinctual practice, you will find you do not have any capacity left in your heart to judge. You don't. You may want to. You just have no room left. 
Because all you're doing is considering what these people go through. You're considering them. You're having compassion on them. You're wondering seriously with curiosity about the fullness of their life. And you'll find, oh my gosh, I have no room left to calculate their decisions. And I have no room left to judge them. I just don't. You will find you do not have any room left in your heart to do that. And that is a gift for you. That's a gift for them. I mean for you, sorry. It's a gift for them too. Okay, so consider them. Stand in awe about what people have to carry rather than in judgment about how they carry it. You will have no room left for anything but compassion. Third and finally, pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit allows the situation of other people. This is what Jesus did. Pray that you allow the situations and the predicaments of other people that that might become your own. That is what happened when Jesus takes his boat onto the sand. He gets out looking for a solitary moment in prayer with his father, and he turns and he sees a whole crowd. A whole crowd. And then his gut kicks in. Ah, what they go through, that's what I go through. I'm willing. Bring them to me. I right, to so pray. Ah, I, can't, I can't remember the name, but there's somebody who says... A theologian who says, it is a gift of the Holy Spirit to suffer with what other people suffer. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Can that be a reframe? It is a gift for you to feel what other people feel. Okay? So try these three things. Tangible, simple, but hard practices that I promise will change your week. Compassion. Compassion. The wallpaper of God's house. The contour of God's heart. God's gut. Reaction. Suffering with. Feeling with. you did want to make one one quick announcement for you to tag and keep it in your brain or your calendar this Friday coming up on Friday and that's happening the passing of the torch our event so our city our beloved community development center started and led for many years by Beth Gaelic she is passing the torch huh and so we, this is a practice. I, want, I actually do really want y'all to hear this. It is a practice to show up and to honor, right? And, and every culture has its strengths and weaknesses. Ours could do a little better at honoring. I'm just going to say it. We can honor each other better. Uh, this is a small, imperfect, clunky way because we've never done something like this. But we want to do that. We want to make the attempt. We want to put into practice honoring our leaders, honoring the folks who have paved the way, who started something when there was not something. That is harder than hard, right? And so we're going to honor Beth as a community, and we're going to show up at 5.30 on Friday, 5.30 on Friday. 
That'll be at um, 5:30 on Friday. And it'll El be viernes here. a las cinco y media vamos Amen. a honrar a Beth que va a retirarse y vamos a pasar la, la antorcha a alguien más. Uh -huh. Y él dice que podemos practicar ser un poco mejores en demostrar honor a nuestros líderes. Así que el viernes a las cinco y media aquí. Aquí, eso. ¿Qué hora? 5.30. 5.30. Cinco y media. Ok, so calendar. You can, en tu calendario. And and if you notice the time slot, you can even um, come and then go and go out to dinner with your friends if that's what you were going to do. You can go on a date after. You can go home get in your PJs, relax, watch Netflix. There's so many things you can do and also come. Y'all with me? So let's make that happen. A practice of honoring each other, showing up, celebrating. All right, I know I'm being annoying. Stan, let's let's uh, get out of here. Uh, and I'm going to read. Today we talked a little bit about how the Gospels and a lot of the Old Testament writers talked about compassion. Well, there's this other, he's a bad dude, his name's Paul, he also uh, talked about compassion. But I bet you actually haven't thought of this one before, so I'm going to give it to you as a benediction. Uh, however you receive, would you put yourself in that posture? He says this at the beginning of uh, 2 Corinthians, it's in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Praise be, this is how he starts his letters praise praise be to God and the Father our Lord Jesus Christ and then you know what he says the Father of compassion the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others in their troubles Amen. he said that thing didn't he So here is your benediction. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we suffer with, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We suffer with that we might share in the comfort with Christ and with others. So as you go forth this week, may you go with the compassion that comes from the deepest part of who you are. And may you go into this week sharing in the comfort as well with other people. Go in love. Go in peace. Amen.